back on the other side, Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a very beautiful man, very photogenic. Gorgeous. Uh, Gorgeous. <laughs> So, welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We're finally here! The results of the Pro Bowl are in, and I think there's some other game happening at the end of this week. So, hey, we have Connor here, and we got Ronan. Hello. How you get on? And he cracked down in Cork. Ah, uh, not too bad. It's a bit chilly down here, chilly in the willy, as I say, and uh, yeah, just tipping along, have a few days off work, been roped into a bit of canvas and... Uh, for, for our local green campus, uh, friend Lorna Vogue. So, other than that, trying to keep out of the cold as much as I can, to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds not very nice out there. Uh, it's gotten a bit chilly here as well, actually. We're finally getting like frost. There's snow on the tops of the mountains and stuff, but uh, I think it's due to due to break in the next day or two. Uh, so, you're going to have some hot, hot heat on Sunday with the uh, upcoming Super Bowl and so on. But I uh, got my day booked off. Uh, are you heading up to Dublin for it? Yeah, I'll be up in Dublin, up with the lads. Well, um, if you need to, you can Skype in and we'll keep the crack up. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give you a ring during the game at some point. I've got a few of us who are meeting up down here in Iraq. We've got we got the offer of a place in a hotel, but I think given numbers and the timing, we'll probably just grab one of the houses and we'll just do it in there instead. So it um, should be good fun. So I suppose we'll fly into it. So a couple of news stories from around the league this week. Uh, San Francisco are the only one on the injury report. Running back Tevin Coleman, his shoulder injury leaves him day to day. Apparently he's not going to have another MRI. It's just about pain management now. And he still hopes to play on the day. But given what they got performance-wise out of their other running backs, this maybe isn't the biggest worry for them. Yeah, like we talked about this last week. It's just an update that they're a little less optimistic than they were last week. So it's kind of, I'd say, questionable now or maybe edging towards doubtful rather than like basically being optimistic about it, which is what they were last week. Yeah. Uh, but as you say, Raheem Mostert has basically been the RB1 uh, for all intents and purposes for the last month or so. So I think it's not a huge loss of data if I rely on him and Matt Breida more than Tevin Coleman. I think just for him, it's mostly about the personal challenge of getting to play in the Super Bowl and obviously the achievement that comes along with that. No, of course. And uh, obviously the, the update on the injury for Chris Jones, who played mostly just pass rushing down, so a lot shorter of a snap count than you'd expect in the AFC Championship game, says he is 10,000% playing in the game uh, on all downs. He's ready to go, which shows great heart, but a very basic lack of understanding of maths. So uh, <laughs> it's exactly what I want. <laughs> How many men are in the box? I don't know. I'm still going to get there. Um, Exactly. Uh, we will hop on to some signings. There have been some movements around the league. As you imagine, this time of the year, it's mostly all about the Pro Bowl and a little bit about the Super Bowl. So uh, Cleveland have hired Philadelphia VP of Football Operations, Andrew Berry, to be their GM. He's the, long- the youngest GM in the league at 32. He's worked with Cleveland previously from 2016 to 2018. So they say that he's going to have final say on the roster here, but... The real question is where the power lies in that group because there's a model of management and different job titles because basically they've you know they've had so many different um, management structures and staff over the last three or four seasons that I'm sure there's probably people there who are just hoping no one questions why they still turn up to work. Yeah, so like obviously the entire hiring process has been orchestrated uh, by Paul De Potesta, who's obviously a holdover from the proposed Moneyball revolution they did many years ago, uh, most 
notably headed by GM Sashi Brown. Sashi! Exactly. He's still around, Debatesta, and he basically put, he got Stefanski first, um, obviously the, like the, the offensive coordinator from Minnesota. He hired the coach and then wanted to put him with someone who would work with the organization, but also had some familiarity with Stefanski, and apparently Barry and Stefanski are friends, and, and they've got on in the past, so this is this should be a popular thing between them. But the murky thing is right now is that Tebedesta's role has probably been expanded because he'll be the one who'll be going directly to the Haslam's, who own the club. Um, so you're left with a situation here where I think Barry, he left the Cleveland Browns in the first place because they weren't offering him enough um, personal control before they ended up hiring um, their previous GM, um, his name, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so he left because he didn't have enough power. He's obviously been a rising star um, throughout his time, both in the Minnesota Vikings, where he was previously, then Cleveland, and now with Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. And he's now getting a shot at the top job. So if you're talking about, like, this is obviously a, a meteoric rise for Andrew mm-hmm. Berry. Um, he's very accomplished. He's from uh, he's from the Ivy League uh, in terms of his education. So it'll be interesting to see if you know going with this kind of I suppose interesting flashy choice mm. ends up working for Cleveland. And I think most importantly, even if it is in theory something can work, whether having De Podesta over him and Stefanski kind of being the one A choice in terms of personnel choice ends up having an effect on how much power he can produce yeah. there. Yeah, it's interesting. But by all accounts. Smart guy, he knows what he's doing. It's just a matter of whether he's given enough room to actually do his thing. Yeah, I think, like you say, kind of the, the the person beforehand, Dorsey, for the ex-Chiefs GM, was kind of the opposite end of this. Is he was a lot older. He come up through uh, much more through the the scouting. He was well known for scouting more so than his business and and uh, and contract acumen. So this is kind of going in a different direction, and also equally the the murkiness of the power structures here. Uh, it was it was power consolidation that really did John Dorsey in, in the end. Um, Jacksonville have decided to hire former Mazungu head coach Jay Gruden as their offensive coordinator. Um, I quite like this, to be honest, because I thought Jay Gruden never really stood a chance with the Mazungus and what they had put around there talent-wise. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him in this spot, even though it's kind of a... It's almost a little bit of a kind of a, a, a like a dead ball kind of season trying to figure out what you're going to do with this Jacksonville roster. Yeah, like I, I think like Jay Gruden's scheme and uh, the wider Gruden scheme, I think it's from the West Coast type of family. It's not the most exciting scheme, not by far. Um, but I suppose when you look at the offensive personnel that they'll be bringing into next year, like outside of Leonard Fournette perhaps and DJ Chark uh, as building pieces, you know, the quarterback situation is very uncertain. But I think if they end up going with Minshew, um, then Jay Gruden could be the kind of guy who provides him with the in-between things that he was kind of lacking last year. He was great at improvising plays and making something out of nothing, but like the play-to-play, the actual, you know, the five-yard slants, the, you know, the basic setups just weren't functional last year in Jacksonville. So I think the hope is if you bring in Jake Gruden, he can build that foundation in which you're supposed to build your offense, that West Coast, you know, short passing, keep it simple offense. And then I suppose whether that'll probably maybe suit Minshew more, but even if you have Foles in there, that can then be used to build a platform in which the big play improvisational ability um, exists for those two quarterbacks. So we'll we'll see if it ends up working that way. And obviously the whole Jacksonville situation in terms of power structure again is a bit murky right now but yeah I think Jay Gruden he has shown the ability to get decent results from perhaps not the best personnel and that's basically where Jacksonville are right now so 
it gives them a chance, I suppose, if their if their defensive personnel is good enough to, to perhaps compete a little bit. In the no, SEC. of course. And the Giants are continuing their very strange game of high cost Pokemon, where they try and gather up failed head coaches <laughs> from other uh, places. Uh, after appointing uh, the Dallas head coach as their OC, they've now brought in uh, Cleveland head coach Freddie Kitchens to be their tight ends coach. So at least he's getting more of a demotion in this one. Um, it's, it's not a bad shout. Freddie Kitchens was well-liked as the offensive coordinator, but just looked completely out of his depth at head coach. So like dropping down the ranks a little bit and kind of learning a little bit more at a lower level is probably the right move for Freddie. Yeah, like I think it is a big demotion, of course, but I think given what happened, you're you're probably prefer to be a little bit under the spotlight than trying to go straight into an OC job or, mm-hmm. or or similar. So I think you know going to the Giants, you have Jason Garrett above you, who's more perhaps will bring more attention on him. It'll give you opportunity to kind of you know rehabilitate your image, and obviously you know these meteoric rises, some of them end up working really well, like Sean McVay, but just as often, or perhaps more often you end up in a Freddy Kitchen situation where a guy was just put on the front line too quickly and hopefully like someone like Josh McDaniels he can you know, get back to being uh, someone who considered for OC and HC jobs going forward. No, of course. Uh, Minnesota have decided to promote Gary Kubiak to their offensive coordinator. And uh, they've then decided, and I always think this is a bad idea, defensive line coach Andre Patterson and linebackers coach Adam Zimmer are now going to be co-defensive coordinators. There's going to be a pair of them in it doing it. Like, is this just like... Is it because they can't attract the candidate they think will be good over it? Is it that they're afraid of losing these guys in the offseason? Or is it they can't make a decision? Because I can't see how someone who's meant to be thinking up game plans, implementing game plans, and making game-time decisions, splitting that between two people never seems to be a good idea. Yeah, but on the other hand, like Mike Zimmer, we know, is a defensive coach, so he will have a strong control over the scheme as well, for better or worse. It's just one of those situations, yes, they probably want to keep the talent in-house, and they kind of want to build that defense together. I think, given the amount the head coach will be involved, it's kind of much of much. It's very similar to the offensive stuff, offensive coordinator, and all the other moves in Chicago. It's it's important, I suppose, in terms of keeping people happy, but not perhaps important in terms of what the actual scheming is. And as for offensive coordinator, like Kubiak was basically the the guru over Stefanski last year in terms of offense, and we know what the Kubiak zone blocking scheme offense is. It's solid. It's good on bootleg and play action. Uh, it's just a question whether you can push that to the next level with Kubiak having a bit of time off, maybe maybe innovating a bit um, to being a offense that can compete against the the likes of, like the high powered offense that we also see in the rest of the NFL. Um, obviously similar to the ones that we're seeing in the Super Bowl this year. No, of course, uh, cuts and firings. Uh, reports are out there this week that uh, quarterback Philip Rivers will not be back with the LA Chargers next year. Um, this comes after news a couple of weeks ago that his family had moved out to Florida. Um, there was obviously kind of a bit of a separation happening at the tail end of, you know, he wasn't performing at the top level, was throwing a lot of interceptions, but whether that was entirely on him or on the rest of the team as well is up in the air. Um, I'd, I'd air more on Rivers coming a little bit rustier at the tail end, but there's still maybe, you know, life in the old dog yet. Uh, he might retire but reports seem to suggest that he might look at who might be interested in him as a starter he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who'd like to sit for a year mentoring someone unless there's a big boatload of money involved um but yeah so like we discussed this yesterday i think it was like maybe someone like the colts if they have a transition player underneath or like there's not there's not a lot of options given the talent that's going to be potentially out there and the number of like draftable first round quarterbacks that are going to be out there as well. 
Yeah, so so I think if you bring in Philip Rivers, you're going to create a quarterback controversy unless, you know, regardless of whether you're drafting a guy or you have someone in place. So if you're bringing in him, you're bringing him in for a genuine competition and there's no way he'd go to a team unless they offered him that in the first place. So when you look across the league at the potential openings, you look at places like the Panthers maybe, you look at places like Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe the Bears where there's obviously an opening there. And then places like Miami and Cincinnati, but they're likely to go with the draft route. So I think the nice thing about the Colts is that, look, like Philip Rivers, he's a, he was a great quarterback. Um, he had had far too many turnovers, but I think in the Indianapolis Colts, they had Jacoby Brissett, who was a pretty solid quarterback. He wasn't terrible, but I think you, you have major questions of his upside, like his ability to deal with his kind of slow release, his inaccuracy, and kind of getting to the next level of being a true franchise quarterback. So I think going into that situation and going into a scheme which is perhaps not as reliant on the deep bombs and not having a big arm, which Philip Rivers probably doesn't really have anymore, and one which is more rhythm-based and intelligence-based and being able to you know, manipulate you know, being a you know, high-level franchise quarterback, I think the Colts probably are the best fit. It's just a question of whether they're willing to put Jacoby Brissett under that situation. I think one interesting thing, of course, is that the Chargers right now, their only quarterback on the roster is Terod Taylor. There's been some noises there that they're very high in him, but like, let's be honest, if you go into next season with Terod Taylor as your only quarterback, mm. um, considering he failed to win the starting quarterback position in Cleveland uh, when they obviously didn't win any games when he was there, um, I don't think the Chargers fans who are no. left... Uh, all five of them will be pretty happy about that. And to be honest, like, given the talent that's on that roster, it would be a shame to see that wasted even more than it was done so this year um, with that kind of situation. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll hear more about that probably over the coming months and we'll keep you up to date on that. And Houston are expected... We, we, I think we mentioned this as a rumour last day, but it's now gotten a lot more, uh, lot more confirmation since Houston are not expected to extend defensive coordinator Romeo Cornell. He's a long story in history in the NFL. He's uh, been defensive coordinator for the Patriots. He was once head coach of the Chiefs, uh, if you remember that. And um, yeah, he was, he was always a good defensive coordinator. He was a terrible head coach, but uh, normally, <laughs> normally. Oh well, no, no, but like, like he was. But the thing is, even even when he was head coach, he was stepping into the role. I think mid season, like yeah. he was, he was a very good defensive coordinator, but yeah, terrible head coach. Um, there is talk that he may stay on with Houston. That they might keep him as some kind of. Um, expert or consultant type role rather than being the defensive coordinator but with a track record like his and to be honest like even with some of the failings it's not been terrible any of the teams that he's put out there like I, I kind of see uh, this is the kind of guy I'd expect to get another job somewhere else right yeah it's kind of like I, I don't want to call it a trend but you see Wade Phillips also not getting extended in the Rams and you're kind of wondering why people are suddenly going cold on these you know, long-term defensive coordinators whose, you know, outcomes have not been all bad. Like, yeah, Houston's, like, like defense hasn't been that good. Like, let's not, let's not beat around the bush. But, like, to be honest, the level of talent that's actually been going on the field every week hasn't exactly been set in the world of light. If you look at their cornerbacks and their safeties and you're going, like, like you know, one of the top cornerbacks is, like, you know, 36-year-old John Joseph. It's, like, not something that's going to, like, blow you away. So... Yeah, obviously Bill O'Brien here, maybe another flex from him, trying to get someone in who's more his speed, trying to assert his rights. But 
you know, I'm sure, given your perspective on Bill O'Brien, I'm not really sure on this. We'll see who they hire instead once this is confirmed, but hmm. I thought Romeo Cornell was not the problem there. It was a no, personnel problem. No, I agree. And they just need to rebuild that defence in terms of talent. This stinks of Bill O'Brien accumulating more power. So, like, last offseason, he managed to get his hands on GM control, which apparently, in their fucking infinite wisdom, they're going to continue to let him keep, even though he's... <laughs> He's just bad. Get him out. And now you're going to replace DC with some young fella that he's going to be able to then have control over because he's going to be the G, he's going to be the head coach. He's going to be the GM, and he's going to be the guy who selected this guy to be hired. Like it's going to be, it's just it's just consolidation of power, and it's 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 worrying because I don't think Bill O'Brien's a direction that 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 group wants to keep going. Like like Deshaun Watson is the new Peyton Manning slash Andrew Luck carrying a terrible, inefficient organization to success despite all of the failures going around them. Like mm. I feel bad for Deshaun Watson because yeah, he's getting he's getting paired and pulled down and pulling up someone who really yeah. is is shooting way above their weight class. No, of course. Uh, crime and punishment, there's a few bits in this. Antonio Brown's been arrested uh, alongside his trainer Glenn Holt for burglary and assault charges. It's something to do with them not paying uh, a moving driver and then throwing rocks at him or something. Like another one in this AB is clearly not mentally there. Uh, he showed up to court in an anti-suicide vest, which is apparently some piece of clothing that is difficult to tie a noose out of. Uh, he's now out on bail with tracking conditions, but I think there's multiple charges being talked about, so there could genuinely be jail time coming out the back end of this. Um, this is just, just another step in this confusing Antonio Brown pisses his life away. Yeah, like they, at this stage, you know, we're getting to it, it's literally just falling apart. Like it's just, you know, pretty sad at this point. Like, like that's not obviously, like obviously, you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that he's committed a crime here. And indeed, the charges, if if you know, if they were hypothetically extended to their maximum effect, could extend all the way up to um, very, very serious jail yeah. time, perhaps even a lifetime charge. Um, Obviously, we probably don't expect that to happen given the current details of the incident. But yeah, a bit of jail time certainly isn't off the cards. And yeah, so right now he's out on bail. I think he was set at a hundred thousand. He's been tracked by GPS. And the only, I suppose, the only hope is that the fact that he's now actually being actively tracked may somehow actually stop this litany of continued, um, like basically ridiculous and offensive yeah I don't think happen. it will though I think we both know this is just yeah this is probably uh, not going to improve this is America yeah <laughs> fucking Antonio Brown and like this this is sounds so similar to do you remember like the thing of the the private chef that he refused to pay 50,000 to because he said like the guy keeping a fish head in the freezer which was for stock was clearly a godfather-esque insult and stuff like there's just a track record of him not paying for stuff expecting to get away with it and just acting like a dick uh, it's not good Cleveland Browns running back and ex-chief running back Kareem Hunt uh, got stopped on a traffic stop for speeding and uh, was found with weed and with an open container in the car uh, video emerges of the stop and I must say Jesus Christ did you did you look at the transcript from the from the yeah, thing yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, the, the cop yeah. sounds like a really disappointed parent like it's yeah. and kept referencing Ray Rice uh, as that Baltimore guy like so it, the policeman was like, like the police officer was actually like, like I'm a Browns fan, like, like I, like you have this second shot, man. Like, you, I want you to take it. I want you to succeed with the Browns, of course. Uh, and then Kareem Hunt is kind of like going, yeah, of course I wanted, of course I want to do that, man. And like he's also like commiserating the fact that he, he still wanted wants to be on the Chiefs, basically. He, yeah. He wants to obviously given the Super Bowl, that's not not too surprising. So, 
like uh, obviously we don't know officially what condition he was in. Uh, I think I think I think he said he he said he wouldn't pass a drug test, um, yeah. so he did kind of admit to it. But yeah, like genuinely, it just made me sad because it just said like like I said like Kareem Hunt had a couple of other smaller incidents that came out afterwards that were like getting into bar fights and stuff that it just seems to be a little bit of an impulse thing, and you can see that like. You know, there, there's something there. Like, it, it's genuinely just kind of a sad story. Yeah, and like, look, this doesn't forgive the fact that he was committing crime here and his past crimes. It's just obviously, you know, we, we hear so many of these stories and obviously we see Antonio Brown here and, you know, hmm. we still hope for the best. Of the oh, yeah, and, and, and to be fair, right, in, in, in this instance, like you said, from, from early reports, it's a very small amount of weed, which is normal and also legal in a lot of the states the open container laws from what i understand in that area and in a lot of the south are basically it's not that it's sitting open it can be closed but as long as it has been opened and it's within reach of the driver so it could be in a backpack on the drivers on the on the passenger side seat and it would count as an open container so we don't know what the story on that is but yeah it just it just seems like an unfortunate kind of on a second shot already and then this happens it doesn't look great you know no, of course, because he did look even even though it was in a short span of whatever seven or eight games, he did actually look quite good on the on the Browns and they worked him yeah, into the game. Yeah, so he look, was really a great change of pace uh, there, uh, and I think it really added a dynamic kind of passing option. No, of course, that they they really liked towards the back end where they were a bit better as they got on towards the back end. So here's hoping that the young fella can actually get itself uh, sorted. Uh, Eli Manning has retired. Uh, Three lie will never will never be unfortunately. Uh, Sixteen seasons. He's obviously best known for the two Super Bowl performances where he stopped the Patriots from winning two more with things like the helmet catch and Tyree and all that. It was great fun. Uh, defeated the eighteen and one Patriots on that run. Um, like we say, we 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 were having this discussion about this, a lot of Hall of Fame or not. Like I'm of the opinion that I don't think he is. Of the talent level, he deserves a Hall of Fame, but I think there's no way that he doesn't get it. Uh, he has, you know, two Super Bowls. Uh, he's got a lot of kind of uh, volume statistics that look good. He has, I think, the longest active play or longest playing streak. I think. Uh, yeah. Oh no, no, Brett Favre has that one. Sorry, but uh, he's got the second one. Like he's basically not been great for the last couple of years but also to be honest when I went back and looked over it it also made me feel a little bit sad of like Eli wasn't incredible but he was decent you could see that he could turn it on at times and the job that they did after that second Super Bowl of just making a balls of roster building and not knowing what to do with this team is kind of sad yeah it is but like to be fair that was also a bit of lightning in the bottle like uh, that, that second team like it, it kind of pipped into the, the playoffs and then managed to win the Super Bowl. It was like very much an unusual situation. And like, yeah, like I think like he, he, the two the two things, I suppose, for the people who like objective criteria for, for the Hall of Fame would be the fact that, yes, he, he was one of the most reliable quarterbacks. He went out there every week. And of course, his streak was only broken because Ben Bakadu decided Geno Smith was a better quarterback uh, for some reason. Uh, and then obviously, his, you, know, his, his, you know, his yards and his TDs, 57,000 yards, around 366 touchdowns, are pretty solid. They're up there in the top 10. Um, and he's finished with a perfect 500 record as well, which yeah. I quite like. It's a yeah. very Eli way to finish it. But I've said this before, like, you know, it is called the Hall of Fame. And I think, you know, Eli Manning, yes, there was a lot of kind of, I suppose, less than amazing quarterbacking, like things that weren't changing the game. But there's no doubting 
that in the you know 16 seasons that he played that he was one of the most iconic quarterbacks like being the quarterback and yes i know they had a good defense in both cases but being the quarterback who defeated the undefeated patriots up until that point in the super bowl is an iconic moment and when you do it you know in a two-minute drive that involves a crazy helmet catch and all that stuff i think that does make a difference and oh yeah it does one, you know you defeat the patriots who would subsequently as we know go on mm-hmm. to win three more Super Bowls and it do it on and obviously there was a big cash there to Mario Manningham which is you know not quite as good uh, iconic but it's certainly up there when we talk about the Hall of Fame yes it's about obviously recognising those coaches and players who changed their positions who changed the game but I think it also should recognise those players who were involved in the biggest moments in the game who you know you know whether you believe oh no of course and that's why i'm starting my campaign for the butt fumble to get mark sanchez in (laughs) you know he did it and yes like that might mean that he gets in over someone like philip rivers who is statistically better philip rivers is never making the hall of fame yeah but he looked better or someone like matt ryan maybe Mm. but you know to a certain extent it is the hall of fame not the hall of you know best players it's supposed to be about recognizing the history of the game of football and I just don't think you can write the history of the last 20 years of American football of the NFL without Eli Manning no of course and we'll probably be talking more about that whenever we get uh, closer to the off season uh, there's one or two other bits to look at over the off season one in particular is speculation over the future of Drew Brees there's a lot of talk about whether he'll retire or not he said that he'll make a decision in the next month or so the team have said that they are ready to roll with Taysom Hill a quarterback slash Teddy Bridgewater a quarterback instead but they would love to have Brees back if he wanted to play uh, we'll see what comes of that and then additionally there is Tom Brady might actually become a free agent his um, contract voids after this period so he will actually be able to make a decision about whether or not he wants to stay with the Patriots or whether he wants to test the open market and see what's out there which would make for an interesting spot and then also finally the Raiders are now officially the Las Vegas Raiders no longer the Oakland Raiders so hello Nevada I suppose yeah, let's let, so gambling. I mean, no, definitely don't gamble. Uh, it's bad, uh, but you can gamble while you're here. It's okay. <laughs> no, of course, of course. So I suppose let's look at the big game from last week. Let's have a review of the Pro Bowl. Okay, so AFC versus NFC. I ended up being correct on this one, 38 to 33, and I think that scoreline flatters you really. Um, Breeze started. Lamar, Calais were MVPs. Fletcher Cox looked great. To be honest, I think on that one it looked like a couple of people just gave up on tackling to yeah. let him get that touchdown. In to be honest, I think, I think someone joked it was like like a Make a Wish kid. Like it's like, go on, Fletcher, you could do it. It really did look way. a little bit like that. To be honest. Um, but yeah, Kirk Cousins made an absolute balls of it, as always, because he was playing the AFC, who are a winning team. Um, <laughs> Earl had an interception on the onside kick replacement, so this is the first time that we got to see the, instead of an onside kick, the you start on 4th and 15 from your own 25, I think, isn't it? Yep. Um, so it was uh, it was interesting, but obviously the news broke during this. Uh, obviously not a football element, but a sports element of uh, Kobe Bryant passing away in a... Uh, in a uh, air, uh, helicopter crash, so that was kind of taking co- took coverage away from it, and a lot of the players were doing things on uh, on the pitch to kind of commemorate that a little bit with uh, celebrations and chants and stuff like that. But uh, 
Yeah, it was interesting. There wasn't as much kind of trickery. They did make a couple of good uses of the two passes behind the line of scrimmage thing, but I can immediately see how that's going to be a problem if people are trying to game plan that in for the XFL. Yeah, like, but the XFL is going to be, you know, there's going to be so much crazy stuff happening, I'm sure we don't know. Uh, what's going to happen? I, I think I don't know if it was a joke or not, but I think someone on Twitter said that they might literally be making like X going to give it to you as the uh, as the theme for the XFL. Which, if they are doing that, uh, I very much approve. Uh, but yeah, like the Pro Bowl, it's the greatest game of the year. We all know that, uh, and we saw that. I think, as you say, of course, on the biggest stage, uh, the reason the NFC lost, my beloved NFC lost, was because of Kirk Cousins choking hard as can be he fumbled twice uh once uh to give the ball away once on the two-point conversion that that kind of killed their comeback attempt mm. and then on the 15 point 15 yard fourth down a uh, new onside kick conversion he kind of got scared and threw an interception so yeah Kirk Cousins really lost this game for the NFC with Drew Brees kind of being solid and then Russell Wilson um actually you know uh could have been better but he, I think I think Russell Wilson definitely had a couple of throws where he's like, oh, I throw this there. And then it was like, you know, this is Pro Bowl speed, not, you know, like, not that real speed. Yeah. That's Pro Bowl speed. I mean, faster than usual. Um, uh, and basically he kind of, oh, like, you know, mistrew it that, that it should have been. So, uh, like, I think, yeah, like, I think, you know, Lamar got the MVP. He threw picks. I'm not really sure that could have made sense, but... He didn't really run, but it's Lamar. I think they kind of felt bad. For yeah, him. well, I, th- I, th- I think as well as we'll mention in a second, after the precision passing, uh, I think they thought they needed to do something to pump him back up. Uh, <laughs> so precision passing, the NFC won forty-three to seventeen. Oh god! But um, Lamar Jackson was outscored in the precision passing by wide receivers Devontae Adams and Jarvis Landry which is not a great look like they said you know um, this is the kind of time where sound bites would say like not bad for a running back come to bite you in the ass uh, it yeah, was like, it was not a good like performance the, like to be honest like in the actual game they, they end up giving him some outrights just to prove oh I can try it so I don't worry about that <laughs> and just to mention like the Drew Brees thing obviously he was given the start uh, over Russell Woodson I think Russell gave it to him so Russell gave it to him I believe yeah retirement thing going on here and mm. just one shout out one final shout out to Josh Allen who blocked a punt uh, sorry blocked a field goal in in the Pro Bowl like fair play to the young man he's obviously was up for it and yeah obviously you know the best thing about the Pro Bowl besides all of the amazing football is the skills challenge and yeah so as you mentioned the NFC did win precision passing and they did win tread the needle basically the two that revolve around you know being good quarterbacks you can throw accurately uh, but they lost everything else. They yeah. lost the gridiron, like the, the, the obstacle course. They lost the best hands, um, and they lost the dodgeball. And so, we, and we all know it's all about the dodgeball. Yeah. So if you control accurately as a quarterback, I should say, then yes, go to the NFC. But if you want all the, the fancy running, killing skills, and if you want you know a good wide receiver who can throw, um, then definitely consider going to the AFC. Um you know, two important skill sets, but the AFC won the game and the skills challenges. So, you know, it's very disappointing, obviously, as an NFC fan, but, uh, you know, we'll come back next year even stronger and see what we can do about this. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I think really, it, it, like we said, it all came down to the linemen. They were what made the difference there. Um, so we'll move on to the slightly less important, but I suppose more pressing given this coming up this Sunday matter of the Super Bowl. So we are going to somewhat forego questions because we're going to roll a lot. Pretty much most of the questions that came in were targeted at the Super Bowl. So we try to work a lot of it into 
when we work through uh, how we think this is going to go. Obviously, this is Kansas City at uh, versus San Francisco uh, being held in Miami. I have gone for Kansas City as no one will be surprised by that, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, and I've gone for a scoreline of 38-28. Um, so a pretty high-scoring game. And Ronan, you've gone for? Uh, Kansas City as well, 35-28. to 28. So a little bit closer than you, but obviously for me, for within one score, in my opinion. Yeah, what, 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 what I'm thinking is that it'll end up being a kind of a... It'll either end up being a lead that we're sitting on that we end up kicking a field goal and just keeping it more than a score out or being that there's a mistake made at the tail end and it allows us to go up by that and and, and, and leave them chasing with Jimmy G pushing but I suppose we'll have a look at what is going to break down this game so obviously everyone's very excited by this two of the best teams uh, I think pretty much the consensus is uh, two of the top three teams in the league this year involved in this one Um the other one being obviously the Baltimore Ravens who fell early against the Titans. Um, I've got two questions. So do you want to go through this by talking points, kind of what's happening in the news, or do you want to break it down? Or we do talking points and then we'll break it down uh, section by section. Yeah, like I think like there's a few talking points yeah. here. Like I think we'll, kick, we'll kick off with some of the news stories bits and then what we'll do is we'll go through kind of the San Fran offense versus Chiefs defense and the Chiefs offense versus San Fran defense. Yeah. So I suppose... So, so like, you can kick off then, yeah. Well, we can kind of focus on like the big names, the big priorities, like who can make the big difference. And I think you cannot talk about this Super Bowl by talking about the star of the show. On both teams, there is simply no one of the level of excitement that people are as hyped for as Patrick Mahomes. Like mm-hmm. Pat Mahomes, over the last two years, has seemed to basically bring the quarterback position forward a whole generation. Like he's revolutionized what you can expect on a play-to-play basis from your quarterback. Like combining like the playmaking ability of of the best quarterbacks up there with the athleticism of the Cam Newtons and type like that. Like it's just his ability to make plays from anywhere, from any position, from any situation, whether he's getting hit, whether he's running out of pocket, whether he's in the pocket, has just been ridiculous. And, you know, he's obviously been paired with a couple of you know, great playmakers in, in, in Kelsey and Hill. But I just think, like, Mahomes, is he stoppable? Like, you know, obviously this year he's dealt with some health issues. You know, you think back, middle of the season, his knee, like, popped out. Yeah, dislocated now, knee. But, but since we've got to the playoffs, what we've seen is old Mahomes, 2018 Mahomes. The Mahomes stuff, like, 50 points uh, easily, you know, every few weeks. And, you know, obviously we'll talk a moment about San Francisco, but is Mahomes so good now that similar to Peyton Manning in his prime or Aaron Rodgers in his prime, can he simply not be denied even by a great defense like we expect from San Francisco? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, there is, there's been so much talk about that. And it's been interesting because normally you start to get a little bit of kind of, you know, anger over and back between the teams. And like, well, we've got the best defense or we've got the best offense kind of thing. It's been a lot of very respectful conversations between the two at the press conferences. Everyone going, well, oh, it'll be difficult, but they'll be, but they'll be great. uh, And we'll have to like execute against it. So I honestly, I think the worry would be for me, Pat Mahomes doing kind of what he does, but not finding the success he finds with it. So him, maybe put trying to put the team in his back in a tough spot because this is a very tough defense and then maybe 
almost in a kind of a Deshaun Watson kind of way, like holding the ball a little bit too long to try and keep it going or like, you know, extending for that little bit too much or maybe like going for that deep shot that might be a little bit on like a little bit more covered than you'd like it to be or whatever that like it's going to be the forcing the tiny little extra bit of danger into it the forcing the extra half a second that's going to be the difference because if you give him the time he's going to pick you apart he's got the mobility to kind of work against some of the rush stuff so they're gonna have to make sure that they're dedicating the men to that but they like if you give him time he's very pretty much almost a nigh on impossible to actually stop properly so it's a combination of factors but this is a defense and i suppose that's the other area is that this is such a big deep kind of defense and defensive line rotation they have the players to possibly be able to do that because they've got speed rushers and they've got a very nice collection of cornerbacks albeit in a scheme that are not necessarily perfectly matched to the type of receivers that the chiefs run yeah, like so I think like, you know, the pass rush will have to get to Mahomes very quick. And I think like probably the one thing Mahomes has become even better at this year, noticeably, is its ability to move around the pocket and not get panicked and kind of pick his marks as well. He's come like you can see the growth in that part of his game, which is obviously scary because all the other parts of his game is so exciting. But like obviously we know San Francisco, like it's probably headlined uh, by the rookie uh, Nick Bosa, but obviously you have players like D Ford, Eric Armstead in there, and they're doing a lot. I think you know Quan Alexander coming back in their linebacker core does make a difference in just allowing them to be a bit safer against the run game um, and allows those guys to kind of get fully unleashed. And so was, yeah, the big thing for the Chiefs is that you know they have eaten up zone defenses all year. If you play zone against Pat Mahomes. And these speedy wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, obviously the headliner, but obviously the types of Miko Hardman as well, like they get behind you, they get big plays. As I said in the Titans review, the difference between the Chiefs and some of, and many of the other offenses that exist in the league in the playoffs, um, which are often solid and do a good job, is that the Chiefs are liable to go for a touchdown on every single play. And if they don't get a touchdown, they're probably getting like a, like a 5 to 10 to 15 yard chunk with Travis Kelsey. Um, so I think for the pass rush, this is the San Francisco's biggest pass rush because I don't doubt their talent, but they're going to have to get to him really, really fast if they're going to actually affect the kind of excessive disruption required to get it done. So I think it's a big challenge there for Robert Sala, whether he can adapt um, that zone scheme, which he kind of comes from the Seahawks school, which to be fair, he has been doing already to other types of zone scheme, whether he's more willing to go man-on-man and do that. And to be honest, even if they go man-on-man, if you put Richard Sherman against Tyreek Hill man-on-man, Yes, I think Richard Sherman, like, you know, like five out of like six times might do pretty well. But the one time he gets burned, we know Richard Sherman, he is getting older, was never the fastest to begin with. He could easily get burned for a touchdown. And there was a couple yeah. of plays in the NFC game where he did get burned. And the Chiefs will want that. They will kill for that type of opportunity. No, of course. It's interesting you say the uh, always going for a touchdown because that was one of the things that the offense coordinator, B. Enemy, said in the opening press conference on Sunday was that... Um, like there the, was a line of something along the lines of well every play is designed to go for a touchdown that they have these kind of roots coming off everything which you know if you know anything about playbooks there's always a route or an element of a play that can break off into those things but of course I don't know if I don't know if you ever watched the, the Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless crap <laughs> but uh Jesus Christ they did an 11 minute section on how I think it was Skip Bayless is sick 
of the presumptive and like full of themselves nature of this Chiefs team. <laughs> like he went for eleven minutes, and then the response from Shannon Sharp is just, "I'm pretty sure that's how every playbook is drawn up there, Skip." <laughs> Um, I think the difference is Mahomes can do it off any platform. He doesn't yeah. need to, to wind up. He can just do that off, it seems like, going off his back foot nearly, just kind of getting those bombs fairly accurate down the field. It's oh, kind it's... of the, the extra factor they have that no other team, well, very few teams have. It's fair, and it'll be interesting to see. So we, we, we've mentioned, you mentioned a couple of times Shannon's zone blocking scheme. So obviously Kansas City run defense hasn't been the best. Uh, this running team has just been doing incredible stuff. Like we said, I think they what passed a sum total of eight times in the NFC Championship game, uh, which also I just realised when I was thinking about it earlier today, might have been something to do with flashbacks to when a 28-point lead was blown by not running the clock previously. But uh, yeah, basically this Chiefs defence doesn't match up well against the, the, the zone blocking system that's going to be coming out of this team. They did well against it when they were playing the Titans, but the Titans, Derek Henry, was he was a power runner in that zone blocking scheme, whereas these guys have a lot of horizontal stretch the field kind of guys. It's not the vertical north-south stuff. And it'll be interesting to see. And we'll, 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 I'll talk about a little bit more depth when we get down to the breakdown stuff. But like, particularly against the Chiefs linebacker core, this is an area that could be exploited a lot by San Francisco. Yeah, uh, but to be fair, I think if you're if you're a Chiefs fan, uh, then I think mostly what you're hoping for is bend, don't break. Is that you don't give up the touchdowns. I think similar mm-hmm. to the Titans early on, you are going to give up some yards here. I think the ZBS scheme I've talked about before. It's basically uh, I would say a cheek but is nearly effective against all defense and as you say you do need really good linebackers to be effective against that now you have will have Chris Jones probably more healthy that does make a difference but yeah I, I don't expect the Chiefs to be able to clamp down on the ZBS uh, even with the improvements we've seen this this year um, I think it's mostly just about damage limitation keeping it slow and mostly just ensuring that if they uh, trying to get those big plays as I said before like you know, like with, with Spags, I suppose the objective isn't necessarily to to, to, to to like stop every play. It's to set up a situations where you can get the splash play, get the sack, get the tackle for a loss, which puts them behind the numbers. And then they'll have to bring out Jimmy G. And that's where the situation where Spags is pretty confident uh, with his very exotic, um, very aggressive um, scheme that he can get at the quarterback and not allow them to make the big conversions that they need in those cases. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that kind of naturally leads us on to the next point, which is kind of like, you know, we obviously talked, we've obviously just, you know, basically licked the balls of Patrick Mahomes for uh, five or ten minutes. I think, you know, we have to talk about the quarterback on the other side, Jimmy G, mm-hmm. um, obviously a very beautiful man, very photogenic. Gorgeous. Uh, Gorgeous. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've seen some poor plays, really, especially in the Minnesota game. Is he going to expose? And I suppose more importantly, we, we know Kittle, and we'll talk about Kittle in a moment, but can he bring players who really haven't been used in the last few weeks, like Debo Samuel and Sanders, can they bring them back in and make the most use of them, especially if they end up having to catch up to KC? Yeah, like it'll be interesting, because I think, I think the Kansas City Chiefs fans are going to be licking their lips at the idea of like, yeah, just let them start using the, the run game. If we can hold, because we, we don't have a great run defense, we've got a good... Uh, red zone defense like you're saying if we can hold them to the odd field goal let them eat clock we'll score on responses but the problem is going to be if they start getting that set up and they can run a bit of play action stuff Jimmy G hasn't had to be used in the last while so everyone kind of kind of goes well you know he had one or two shaky throws he's only you know thrown eight 12 passes in the last couple of games 
He had a run of games where he had a couple of excellent passing performances during the year, albeit some of them against terrible teams, some against like early days Arizona Cardinals defenses and stuff like that that weren't up to much. But he is a competent player. He has an excellent tight end in Kittle. And what he's got with Sanders and Debo are players that are good and physical and can block downfield, which if they run a lot of their zone blocking team running, they will be doing. And that will cause the cornerbacks to bite in a bit closer and it might free them up for it. I Almost a Minnesota-esque level of, I'd be afraid of play action becoming a way that they'll be able to pick apart sections yeah. of the secondary. And the player in the secondary that he should be most aware of and that he needs to basically, you know, play around and intelligently is the honey badger. Like mm. Tyron Matthew, big free agent signing for Kansas City this year. And I think we've, we, I don't know if he's quite back to where he was at the very peak of his powers, mm. but he's definitely back to being near that player, being that all action playmaker who shows up everywhere, who cuts in the tackles, who gets those turnovers. And I think for Jimmy G, you know, be aware of that guy. He's mm. the kind of playmaker that he should be afraid of. Like their linebackers aren't really that. Like, sim- like they don't really have the Minnesota level of linebackers. But mm-hmm. I think if if he can avoid him, then that would make it a lot easier on him. And yeah, like I think you know, obviously Kittle is going to be a huge factor here. It's very hard to play George Kittle, although apparently he's he's been playing through like a torn labrum for 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 multiple years at this point. Did so you did you did you by any how, chance did you catch his his interview from I think it was earlier today? Where, uh, I caught the highlights of it. Where, where, uh, where he explains how, like, he always plays injured and what he does to get himself psyched up is, like, he headbutts the wall and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and everyone just realised, hold on, is George Kittle just wandering around playing with a low-end concussion at all times? Like, because that's <laughs> certainly what it sounds like. Like, he's definitely going for that Rob Gronkowski type of uh, niche that, that he's filling, like, of the uh, all-action warrior who, who's never really uh, as healthy as they should be. Uh, and obviously, you know, like, as I, we've already said, Travis Kelsey is also uh, like a, a like the best tight end in the AFC, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you basically in this situation, I think the tight end situation is kind of a draw. But I think obviously for San Francisco, it would be a little bit more important um, to make sure that those kind of intermediate routes are down. And then once again, obviously huge emphasis on Honey Badger um, and on their uh, their their. The Kendall Fuller to kind of bracket him out, keep him out of plays yeah. um, on the Kansas City defense, and for Kelsey, like a similar situation for them. The safeties like Tart um, will become important there. Yeah. So I expect both of them to probably have pretty big games. It's just a matter of of are we talking like a big game or are we talking like domination games, which both of them have had in the very recent past. No, of course, and uh, obviously we'll, we've got the coaches. So what we'll do is we'll hold the coaches chat until the very end. So what we'll do is we'll go down and we'll just go through the different sections and where we think these guys line up. Okay, so we talked on the San Francisco offense. So we've got a nice, lo- nice running back rotation, a very nice scheme in front of them, and we've got a weakness in the linebacker core for the Chiefs defense: Hitchens, Wilson, Neiman, and like Honey Badger comes down and plays box safety, or Sorensen comes yep. in and plays box safety, like. I'm not going to lie, that's definitely one that I'm siding towards San Francisco in and them getting success in. Like that's yeah, no, it's just it's just a matter of limiting that success. Too. I think you just have to get those big uh, turnovers and or plays for loss and then that helps mm. take, or and obviously get ahead, that will also help yeah. just kind of take slowly, systematically take that option away from them and, and see what they can do. No, of course. We mentioned him up there a second ago. George Kittle is obviously excellent. He's their probably... I, like, I, I, I would say he's their top 
option in the passing oh, game, yeah. definitely. Way, way yeah, so what I'd be concerned is I'd, I'd be interested to see what we do with that because I think for a period anyway, we're probably just going to put Tyrion Matthew on him directly, I think. But uh, I also think that they'll then like they'll start then throwing in bracket coverage stuff where they'll show Matthew on him and then actually pull him off at the last second and have someone else covering him over the top or something. Um, but I, I, like, I'm, I'm honestly not entirely sure what the Chiefs defense are going to come out and do to try and cut him out of the game because of the fact that he is such a good combo in both. He's, he's great in the run game and in the passing game. And those are two yeah. different tasks to put in front of. I put Honey Badger on him every single time for the pass game, but I sure as shit don't want Honey Badger on him for the run game. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put him on every time, but I think you know uh, presenting as him being on him every time would probably be um, a likely outcome. But I imagine that... They'll probably mix in a bit of blitzing, a little bit of uh, you know the sky's coverage as well. But yeah, I think de facto Matthew will be covering Kittle and being assigned to that, and it's all about then the chess match of of how when when Matthew is being put to other uses, yeah. um, whether in the pass rusher or covering other players or looking for maybe more of a roaming role and trying to get those turnovers that are so important. No, of course. Uh, the San Francisco offensive line, which uh, is, is an interesting one to me. So they're kind of mid-table for pass blocking and they're you know, top 10, I think they're number eight for run blocking on all of the grading that I've been looking at. Um, and I think that's probably almost doing a disservice to him because I believe they were missing their one or both of their tackles for a period of time during the year as well. And they're now back and they're playing quite well. But they're going up against what is a very interesting defensive line rotation in the Chiefs. So we've mentioned one or two of them already. So we've got Frank Clark, who's there, who's the signing from the Seattle Seahawks, who's been playing very well in the back half of the season. Uh, we've got Chris Jones, who's back from injury and even had impact during the game last week and he was only playing for I think about 25% of the snaps he's going to be on 100% of the snaps or thereabouts injury allowing Terrell Suggs who was picked up off waivers uh, Kipasa who I like but is also he, he's very good in spots but is inconsistent so that's a worry and then obviously our kind of big guys up the middle space eater type so uh, Natty, Pinnell and Williams on rotation there so it'll be it'll be interesting just to see how the O-line holds up because I think like you said, if it's a spot where they can, where the Chiefs can get ahead and they need to start forcing the pass more, that's a rotation that can do very well against that. But it's not necessarily one that's set up for a, are they going to run, are they going to pass? If this is a close game, this, the skill there is purely in pass rush. And I don't think they can just pin their ears back all the time as much as the, the Spags would actually like to do that. Yeah, I think they will definitely need to be disciplined, particularly early on. Like the worst case scenario here would be to allow San Francisco to get a big early lead. That would basically not suit the Chiefs uh, certainly as much. Um, like they could still come back. Hey, it worked the last two games. <laughs> yeah, it kind of worked. But like, let, let's not let's not push it. Yeah, yeah. Time. I think, like, yeah, like, like Frank Clark. Does do does do his best work when you can when he can put his ears back, but he has he is a solid run defender as well. And I think early on, just keeping that discipline and Chris Jones, if he's healthy, if he's got fully healthy in the two weeks here uh, since the AFC, then that would be a huge thing as well. And then these other players, like you have Terrell Suggs, you know the veteran. I think he's a great 
chess pieces I have there, particularly on passing downs, because he's so he'll he'll bring so much knowledge to that. And then yeah, you ha- I think like unlike as you say against Tennessee, where you have that power running game, and then forgetting the big guys Natty and Pennell involved. I think with the outside zone um, that the, that San Francisco can go to very easily, um, you're probably less looking at putting those big fat guys in there. So I think Chris Jones therefore becomes more important as the more dynamic, yeah. athletic player, assuming he's healthy. And therefore, you'll probably see uh, you know more of a traditional four-three uh, front in, front in that case, rather than again a more run-focused one. Mm-hmm. Even though San Francisco are a run game, they're much more about like I suppose a fast zone blocking outside zone. That means you need to have guys who can have range. Yeah. Because then you know, as you say, the linebackers aren't the best. So we mentioned earlier, so mm-hmm. therefore discipline on the edge from your defensive edge, especially the one opposite Frank Clark, is incredibly important to give those linebackers a little bit extra time just to get to the running back and prevent it becoming huge plays. Yeah, um, you you want to keep them to like three yard, four yard gains, not the kind of you know 10, 15 yard gains uh, we saw against Green Bay Packers for San Francisco. No, of course. Wide receivers is San Fran we mentioned. I they are decent, but not kind of world breaking in any way. Sanders, Samuel, and Bourne are probably the the main ones you'd be looking at there. Um, like you said, it's hard to judge necessarily because they haven't been used all that much maybe the last two or three weeks, but they're like they're good when needed but haven't been heavily relied on. Uh, they'll be going up against the defensive backs of the Chiefs defense where we've got uh, Tyrion Matthew, uh, Ward, Sorensen, Breland, Fuller and Fenton are probably the rotation that we're going to be seeing back there. Um, in this instance, like I, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, I quite like the Chiefs' defensive back rotation at this point. I like the guys who are in there. I wish that we didn't have Juan Thornhill injured because then I think it would be a very much a slam dunk spot for us in that. But, you know, Sorensen ah, is... Come on, dirty, give Dirty Dan his juice. I was going to say, Dirty Dan has been great, but Dirty Dan is great in very specific situations. <laughs> Dan is great whenever he's allowed to play box safety. I expect to see yeah. a lot of him in as being the the safety who's playing in essentially as the extra linebacker in spots where we expect to see a bit of a rush coming uh, maybe he's going to be the guy who's going to like pop or, or, or help bracket someone yeah, on the edges yeah. um, I, I, what, what I expect to see a lot of if I'm honest is to see Sorensen sitting a little bit further back Matthew up close and then what they actually do is drop Sorensen at the snap into cover who Matthew looks like he's covering Matthew then jumps off into either coverage or into a surprise blitz yeah. spot that's that's what I'm expecting to see but uh, we know we know the San Francisco offense likes or Jimmy G in particular likes to play around the middle of the field so that means you know in traditional you know football we think about the boundary cornerbacks which in this case would be players like Breland but that means that we're much more focusing on those safety Sorensen and Matthew mm-hmm. and that Fuller Kendall Fuller their, their, their slot cornerback they'll probably end up having a huge influence on stopping these guys. Because I think Emmanuel Sanders is the only one of these guys that I would consider to be an elite or near elite, like actual outside wide receiver. Yeah. Um, so I think if, I think Breland has been good enough that he shouldn't get burned forever. Mm-hmm. And I think just because of Jimmy G's biases, yeah, those inside guys will end up being the influential guys on this defense. No, of course. So like we say, just to sum up then, the San Francisco offense, great running backs, great tight end, okay offensive line, okay wide receivers. They run a very tasty zone blocking team that matches up well and will hope to get the play action going on it. Uh, they're going to be going up against a defense run by Spags that is blitz heavy, has a fairly soft run defense, but tightens up when it's in the red zone. Uh, and I imagine are probably going to, a certain extent, allow a bit of the run to ensure the pass doesn't get set up, particularly if they can go up 
early on, but are essentially going to focus on setting the corner well, and trying to make them feel uncomfortable. Allow, allow you know, implies a certain level of choice. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's fair. But yeah, I think I, I think that's I think that's the key. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna have to accept their limitations in the run game and just hope to cause issues in the pass game essentially. Um, no, I think it's going to be a really. I think it's like a really. I don't think. I think these two skiing, like these two units, were both a bit more like. It'll be interesting to see what they can do because these are probably the two more enigmatic units of these two teams. Yeah. Um, so then we've got the other side here of we've got the Chiefs' offense versus the San Francisco defense. So first up. So as you define the Chiefs defense, won by Mahomes, we've talked about him earlier. Speed, speed, and more speed, I think is what I was thinking. Uh, Hill, Hardman, Watkins, even some of the guys further down the depth chart, like Pringle, are all very, very, very fast. Although I don't like Robinson very much. He annoys the fuck out of me. But that doesn't matter. Uh, San Francisco, we discussed, they've got a nice rotation of defensive backs there. Sherman, Witherspoon, uh, and then we've got Tartan Ward there. But what they do is they play a very effective zone. Tends to be kind of uh, like a cover three kind of setup is the base, I think, for them. Um, the most successful people found against the Chiefs have been when they man up against them. I Like you mentioned earlier, and you've watched a little bit more of them because obviously they're in your division, that they've been increasingly adding a little touch of that in. Do you think that they're going to significantly change the scheme that they use to match up against these speed receivers? Or are they going to try and... You know, counteract it with other areas of the defense. I think you know all the advice that you get um, from you know the broadcast from coaches and things is that you know against the Chiefs you do need to man up, you need to disrupt their routes, and you need to basically you know realize the fact that you know if you play zones, they're going to just run right through your zones. So you can't just rely on your kind of traditional zone scheme. So I think. You know, to be fair to Robert Sala, you know, the uh, one high safety zone scheme, he's already moved away from that, but though, but primarily into other types of zone schemes like three, like two and three zone schemes. So I don't, I don't expect him to move away from that completely as their, as their default using zone. But I do think that they'll probably have to mix up and scheme properly um, to try and confuse Mahomes um, a little bit, and like that's a very tall task, let's be honest. But they will certainly try to do that, and I do think, like you know, like the court, like the cornerback, like Richard Sherman, he has had a great season, no doubt about that. But yeah, you know, as I said, he isn't the fastest person, so he he he's the best person probably in the NFL at cornerback at reading routes. But if the route is he runs faster than you, then that does present a bit of a challenge. <laughs> um, and yeah, Akella Witherspoon, he's been benched several times over the last few weeks so we could see other guys being brought in there it's kind of unknown whether he's going yeah. to start or not um, he's, he's, then, he's one that I had circled for keep an eye on whoever is being covered by him because they're going to try and work him but yeah yeah so he, he was replaced by Emmanuel mostly at various points so he may end up not playing at all or being mm-hmm. like a third or fourth cornerback option and yeah their safeties like Tart and Ward like they're solid players like no doubt about that but I definitely think that they're kind of solid players who've been made to look better by the talent surrounding them particularly in the front four so mm-hmm. look I definitely think that big plays from the Chiefs will occur uh, I have no doubt about that let's, uh, to be honest but obviously for San Francisco um, similar to the Chiefs it's more about can you keep that to one or two in the entire game because once we, we know that once the Chiefs get going once they find a seam and a weakness mm-hmm. once Mahomes evolves like the Borg you know he can go on a seven touchdown run and the whole game is over before you know it so yeah um, 
like they have good talent there um, in the defensive bags, uh, like but there are definite weaknesses there that can be exploited if Mahomes is time. No, of course. Uh, obviously, we mentioned Travis Kelsey, so he's he had a fantastic week last week because either they at times they couldn't cover him, and then at other times uh, they tried and failed horribly to cover him. Uh, but I think that was more to do with the personnel than anything else. What do we expect to be the San Francisco response here? Are they going to dedicate a wide res- uh, a defensive back to come in? Or are they going to allow a, a linebacker to come in and, and, and try and cover? Because I know that they have, in theory, got good coverage from their linebackers. But I'm not sure if that's, again, kind of a... a uh, a function of the defensive line more so than necessarily the overall yeah. coverage ability like, of the linebackers. Because like, I'm not like, saying they're not good. I'm just saying, are they good enough to... Like, I don't think they're good enough to run one-on-one with Kelsey. I think that they will double him uh, at times, but I do think they have linebackers who have the range to be, like, I suppose, the primary uh, read or cover guy on him. Um, like, they have Quan Alexander back from injury. He looked pretty good mm. um, since he's come back. Fred Warner has been a revelation this year. And then they have, like, solid players like Drake Greenlaw who have been impressing as rookies. So I think, you know, I think a linebacker, they will put a linebacker on him, but I doubt that they will put him on alone if they can avoid it. So a big question then, as uh, so we're talking about the coaching, is, you know, has Andy Reid cooked something up that basically they don't really have an option there? And, like, to be fair, like, you know, I suppose their bet, like, what they'll probably play for is to keep Kelsey to you know, short games, like traditional mm-hmm. sort of tight end games, uh, rather than the monster plays he's had so often. And I suppose if Mahomes is dumping it off for a four-yard, five-yard game, That's a you win. know, the San Francisco, they might consider that a win. And so you just consider and play to do that. Yeah, of course. Um, the offensive line for the Chiefs has been very good in pass blocking. I think they're rated number four in the league. But they're obviously kind of bottom end of the table. I think they're about 23 or something in, in, in run blocking. Uh, one thing to note is uh, Fisher has been back for the last two games and has been playing much, much, much better with him in there. Um, I think someone said like they haven't lost a game this season when he's been playing for them, uh, which is an interesting one. Uh, they but, lose that many games, to be fair. No. Uh, but equally as well, what's interesting is that uh, I, I, I personally, anyway, would consider Mitch Schwartz one of the best, if not the best, right tackle in the league at the moment. Uh, and having those one or two guys on the line that you can definitely lock into is very important because the biggest strength in this San Francisco defense, let's be honest, as we mentioned beforehand, is that defensive line. Bosa, Buckner, Ford, Armstead, lovely rotation, a couple of other players who come in as well and provide to them. But how exactly do you neutralize that? Obviously, strong pass blocking, and they've played a couple of very good uh, pass rushing teams this season from the Chiefs, but this is a slightly different prospect. These are excellent players, some of them at the peak of their early careers. Uh, some of them played with them beforehand, and probably, even though the defensive scheme has changed, the offensive scheme hasn't, so they probably have a bit of a handle or a bit of an experience of going up against it in D forward. Um Obviously, they're going to have to run some bootlegs, get some movement for Mahomes, get a couple of quick outs. But I think it'll be very interesting to see how this offensive line holds up against this defensive line. Because particularly with the return of Fish, I'm liking what the offensive line is doing. But I don't think, I think even the best line in the league is going to struggle with this rotation unless you can just keep them on the field and get them gassed. Yeah, like it's an impossible task to keep it completely clean. Um, So really, it's about. You know, like it always is really with the offensive line. Like, like, you know, there are still coaches in the league who believe it's a one-on-one fight, you know, mano a mano. But the reality is we're now in a movement league. 
the teams who've done the best this year, including the 49ers and the Chiefs, are teams who have pre-snap movement, who try to confuse the defense and try to create uncertainty. Because ultimately, you know, in the with the level of quickness these athletes have, the only really, you know, the only real thing that offenses still have over them is surprise. And I think, you know, for therefore, the big thing for them is that the offensive linemen, yes, they have to hold up, they have to be skillful, and they have to kind of hopefully keep Mahomes safe. That's the primary thing they need to do. Uh, but I think ultimately it will come down to whether the offense is doing enough different things, both hopefully getting a bit of the run game going uh, and uh, you know, hopefully doing kind of both short passes and intermediate and deep passes just to keep that defensive line on its toes and kind of force them to coverage perhaps in certain occasions so like I don't think you'll be able to get rid of them completely I expect Mahomes to get sacked a, like a, a fair amount um, but obviously um, I suppose the big difference is that if if Jimmy Garoppolo gets sacked I kind of expect to drive the end I suppose for the Chiefs fans hope mm-hmm. is that Mahomes can get sacked or take a tackle for a loss and probably still has a decent chance of keeping the thing going with a big play in the next next go. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't realised just how much, and obviously it's a factor of both Mahomes' escape ability and the offensive line, but uh, that I think Jimmy Garoppolo has been sacked literally twice as often uh, this season uh, than Mahomes has, even though, and this is a big surprise given that we expect him to run a lot less plays, he's only had eight less pass attempts than Mahomes this season. Although that said, that is with Mahomes missing a number of games, uh, what, yeah. two and a half games. But still, on, on, on essentially the same amount, he's been sacked twice as often, which uh, which is which is an interesting one coming into the tail end of the season. Uh, Chiefs offense running game. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. Damian Williams, I think, holds or ties a record for the amount of touchdowns scored in the postseason at this point, <laughs> uh, even though we don't use him. He's looked good when he's been used, but Andy Reid's scheme has not required his use really. Um, they don't have a they don't have a run game that can say they get up and they need to just kind of kill the clock. It's not really designed to do that. It's not an offense built around that kind of solid Connor, run game. I'd hope in the Super Bowl. I know you've been complaining all year about Andy Reid, like milking the clock, playing it safe. Hopefully, big red. You know, it's a Super Bowl. You've already lost one of these things. You've worked so hard to it. Like, if you're ahead, you know who the best player is. Don't be taking taking the ball away from him. Oh, of course, but but but, but no, equally, but, Damian Williams, but, but not, not too much, you know. But but equally, you could also see you could also see a spot where Andy's got that too much in his head. There's a minute and a half left. The San Francisco 49ers have no timeouts. It's second and eight for the Chiefs, and he goes, "Right, we're gonna pass it two times." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you also don't want to have that happen. Um, San Francisco have decent coverage linebackers, but they definitely are ones that could be exploited on the likes of wheel routes and quick releases, particularly early on if they're trying to counteract the, the, the defensive line rotation, just trying to get the ball out quickly. The only problem is, as we saw, I think was it the Minnesota game, and that, to a lesser extent the Green Bay game, but like that, uh, or no, it was mostly the Green Bay game, that... Um, that this is a team that knows how quick their their defensive line can get to them. So their linebackers are keyed in on quick exit routes. So that's something that will be interesting to see how that works. Because I don't see the running game, unless I really just want to surprise them, I don't see the running game suddenly featuring heavily in this um, outside yeah, I, of... I, I think that they might try early on, maybe mix it in a bit, you know, like just see how, like, you know, kind of probing the fence, like almost like the Raptors in Jurassic Park. Like, I think you may <laughs> see a little bit of that, but um, yeah, like the wheel rides, the important thing about the wheel rides and stuff is that they clear out the zones. Like if you, yeah. if you go into a zone with a single person and you put two players around them, ultimately that's the kind of decision making that makes zone 
uh, scheming hard alongside the you know players getting caught out behind them. So mm. you know I think Damien Williams like he has flashed at points of being a really good running back. I think you know people are down them because too many people drafted him in fantasy probably. But overall, when he's been healthy and he's been used in the game, he has been a really important complementary mm. piece. And obviously in the red zone, he's been money. So. Uh, obviously, if, uh, you know, if you get in the red zone, that that's an incredibly important part of the. Oh yeah, of well. course, of course. Um, no, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I would expect them to, yeah, like you say, try it out a little bit. But um, I also wouldn't expect it to be. I would, like, you know, the guys had what two hundred yards from one guy. I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if we see more than, say, like 12, 13 attempts. Uh, unless, unless, unless it yeah. gets to a spot where it just dictates itself. Uh, just by the by the game flow. So essentially, Chiefs' offense we're looking at. You know, it's augmented Andy Reid West Coast system that's kind of like gun hard with a lot of bootlegs designed to expose zones, which in theory matches up well against a San Francisco defense that is speed rushing, uh, has good cornerback play, but plays mostly in zones and will allow kind of some gaps in them that the guys could exploit. Um, like I said, the key to this is just going to be can the offensive line buy that extra half a second? Can the movement that they have pre-snap confuse them just that extra little half step? Because the speed on that Chiefs offense yeah. only needs the half step. But the discipline and the just the pedigree and quality of player on that San Fran defense. Like, if there's a defense that can go toe-to-toe with them, it's going to be this one. Yeah. And as I, as I said before, as I said in the, in the uh, championship review pod for the Chiefs, like... As I say, like some of the players in the Chiefs' offense, they, they are a bit unreliable to Marcus Robinson. I suppose we don't you might pick on, but the difference between them and Sammy Watkins, probably too, the difference between them and like a lot of the teams that have been in the playoffs who've ended up being kicked out is that if uh, a Sammy Watkins or a Miko Hardman or Demarcus Robinson make a play, they make a big fucking play. And yeah. that's, the, that's the kind of difference here. So for the Chiefs, they're never really out. I think that's... I suppose that's why I kind of favour them because no matter what situation the Chiefs were in, I could still see them winning. Whereas if I saw the, the, the San Francisco 49ers going into a big hole, leaning on Jimmy G, I, would, I, I don't really see them managing to claw their way back out. Maybe I'm underestimating Jimmy G. He had some, some, had some good games, but yeah. that's, I suppose, the difference in philosophy. And that's kind of been the difference between the Chiefs and every other team in this playoff run. Yeah. Uh, so what what are we hoping like going into the half twenty eight to three and then you just start seeing Shanahan sweat <laughs> sweat. Um, Triggered. Special teams. There's not a lot of it here. Uh, good returners on the Chiefs in Hardman and Hill. Uh, you get some good big plays in recent times, in particular out of Sorensen, which is nice. Um, solid for San Francisco. Nothing too over the top. Actually, I was surprised they didn't have a, a, a punter or kickoff a touchdown this season. Uh, but that could definitely change. They've got the speed. They get good returns and stuff like that. They just haven't broken one off. One that was interesting was I didn't realise how inconsistent uh, Robbie Gould had been for the 49ers this season. So he hasn't made anything over 50. And actually his percentage on the year is less good than the replacement they had in for the four weeks that he was unavailable. Yeah, but I think since he's come back, he's been maybe back to where he was he may have been playing hurt in the first half of the season that mm. kind of affected him a little bit but uh, yeah I think special teams I think given how explosive the Chiefs are and how solid the San Francisco offense is, uh, defense is I don't think special teams will be the huge factor unless you're talking about a big comeback mm. type situation so I think 
special teams, obviously, one of those big plays could make a difference, but I don't I don't see either of these teams being the likely come of that. Maybe a KC touchdown to kind of cap things off, but not the primary factor. No. Um, the only thing really left to mention, we've got, obviously, we've talked about the schemes, we've talked about the, the strengths and the weaknesses and the philosophies, but I do think, you know, we can talk about the personalities now. You've got Big Red, Andy Reid, obviously his second Super Bowl, you know, basically infinity experience, low busy you know one of the most winningest coaches is in the league getting this chance to get that first Super Bowl ring against Kyle Shanahan obviously from the illustrious Shanahan clan no, it'll be his obviously, second his second Super yeah, Bowl ring it'll be his second uh, second Super Bowl um, uh, obviously the 23 he probably wants to forget that uh, as much as Andy Reid wants to forget some of his playoff losses <laughs> uh, but you know you know, he has that philosophy, he has that thing, he's such a young player, like you saw a video um, last week of him predicting um, the holding call on Kittle before the play, obviously a, a very smart, intelligent player, just two really interesting coaches, and just it'll be interesting to see these two play, two, two, two coaches with who have their own very distinctive style that they've imprinted on these teams, and seeing who can get the most of it. Now, to be honest, if it comes down to clock management, I'm going to give it to Shanahan, uh, to be honest, even give it the 28 tree, but... Uh, uh, given all the other things, it should be a really fascinating kind of clash mm. uh, of two coaches. I think most people agree are, are good guys and, and definitely would deserve to, to get the ring if they do no, get we it. Love it. Yeah, so I think, and this is the thing is like, I think genuinely anyone will be happy on whichever way it goes, as long as it's not some fucking terrible ref call that causes it. I think everyone will be fairly <laughs> understanding of like both of these are the best team. And it also does look to be shaping up like as long as they can maintain a, a lump of their core, these are teams that are set up for, for, for a little bit of longevity as well. But no, I'm uh, I'm super duper duper pumped for it and I think it's going to be amazing. I've got the, got the jersey washed and pressed and ready to go. You know, it's going to be uh, happy days. We've, we're lining up our, our plans for beers beforehand, going out for a bite to eat and then getting ourselves set up in the house and what we'll do for the pre-game and stuff. It should be, uh, should be fun. What about yourself? I, yeah, so I'll be heading up to Dublin, uh, going uh, to Harry's house, obviously former uh, host here, and uh, going with the other Dublin crew, and uh, obviously we might get you called in at some point. Yeah, I'll, do, I'll dial in and catch up with oh, you. Seems good. Well, hopefully for the sake of your cardiac health, it doesn't end up like an Emily uh, Emily Ravenscroft situation, but <laughs> she was me. calling in on but, the but, but particularly because in this instance, my, my <laughs> kitchen doesn't look on to where my TV is, so I won't be able to watch from the kitchen. <laughs> into that situation would be yeah, like I know maybe an exciting game would be good but like obviously as a Chiefs fan mm. uh, you know if you had a Seahawks type Seahawks-Denver game uh, you'd probably be okay with that uh, I'd be alright but I would, I would prefer a little bit more of a game to be honest you know, maybe next year you can uh, have the exciting mm. one Let's no no, no we'll, have an, we'll, have, we'll have an exciting one here where we can kind of you know hopefully ease our way out in front in the third <laughs> quarter you know we'll, we'll go in a little bit ahead we'll receive in the second half we'll score again to put two score and a half in it and then we can kind of coast from there go and score for score or something that'll be that'll be happy days uh, <laughs> he, he, he asks as if it's something very easily arranged uh, <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, that'll be that'll be gas. Actually, yeah, I should get one of those in and just be like, oh. um. But no, it should be should be good fun. Uh, so I suppose as always, we'll uh, we'll have to figure out because we're now in different time zones and we'll be hung over at different periods. Uh, when we're going to be able to record our uh, our uh, our post Super Bowl one. Normally, we do that hung over the day after uh, in Dublin, but uh, I won't be there this time. But we'll we'll figure something out and. Uh, 
we'll try and get that up as early as we can. But obviously, fire in your questions. If you get them into us uh, just after the Super Bowl, we'll be able to pick them up in time for the uh, for the for the review show. Um, but yeah, obviously on Facebook, Twitter, all those kind of spots and everything like that. But I suppose for now, it'll uh, wrap us up till next week. So it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been all four quarters, and uh, go Chiefs. Bye.